Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a 20-minute high-intensity episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the themes of the day. Good morning and welcome to the show. I'm here with a, um, an old friend of mine from way back in the early days of Collisions, Miss Alexander Newth. How are you, Alex? Doing good. Thank you. And we were chatting a little bit offline, and I'll share with the audience. You are in lockdown, but you went out to the Okanagan. So good for you to, to make the best of this situation. I'm, I'm a little bit envious right now as I look out my window, Calgary, which is okay, but it's not the Okanagan. Yeah, wine helps as well. There's a little bit of that out here. <laughs> yeah, yes. I have chatted to a few uh, small businesses, and obviously there were some that are experiencing challenges. The liquor stores are not experiencing challenges. Um, consumption seems to be on the rise as of late. That that glass of wine at the end of the day where every night kind of feels like Friday or Saturday, I think it's crept into our uh, our day-to-day. <laughs> Especially, uh, I don't know, do you, do you have kids at home? We don't. Two fur babies, but... Okay, fair, fair enough. They probably don't, and I don't want to say this in a negative way, drive you to drink. And I'm only going to say that because I've talked to a lot of parents. They're like, wine is a mandatory at this, at this point of juggling my life and homeschooling my kids. I, I, don't, have that, I don't have that balance, but I, I've heard it can be a quite a full, a full day when you have both on your plate. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> Well, Alex, you and I met when you were at ATB as the managing mm-hmm. director of Brightside, and we had great conversations. If anyone hasn't listened, I want to recap it. Please go back and take a listen. But you've recently, as of February, moved to a new venture, now and never, now or never venture. So maybe tell us a little bit about that to start, and then we'll roll into it. Yeah, for sure. So one of the um, things we, I kind of realized after having built a venture within um, ATB is that building ventures corporately is actually pretty challenging, but it's pretty important. And um, a partner of mine, Ian Montgomery, uh, who I actually hired a, a whole lot while I was at ATB, uh, left a larger big four consultancy um, to go out on his own as well. So we decided, why don't we do this together and try to make consulting a little bit different than what it kind of currently is. And so what we're trying to do is help uh, organizations get market insights, market foresights, customer insights, but really try to understand how they can reinvent their business model in a really meaningful way and and get some big audacious ideas uh, within their organizations that can actually meaningfully change uh, what their business means and how they're serving their customers. And we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to be too fluffy, that we're going to be pretty honest and candid. And and that's pretty true to Ian and I's personality. And we want to make sure that we're kind of pushing our clients and and the companies we work with to really change the market, uh, with the things that they're doing as opposed to just kind of doing the lip service type projects. So, um, we're, we're focused on bold clients and, um, people that are pretty brave that are trying to really reinvent the industries and the markets they're in, which is really, really fun work. It's yeah, it, it sounds really exciting, but for any of us who's been in worked with large organizations, it's also incredibly challenging because there's saying exactly. you want to change and then there's actually changing, which are sometimes very very different. Totally. Have you so from your guys' perspective, are you typically dealing with large enterprise level organizations that you know, like you and I talked about at ATB, how challenging it is for companies to change themselves from the inside out with the same cultures that have made them successful to kind of get to where they are? Yeah, and it's been interesting. Pre-COVID, it was definitely leaning towards a larger enterprise side. Post-COVID, we've actually had some really kind of interesting organizations that would be a little bit smaller uh, than kind of the big household brands that you'd have in Canada that are wanting to punch above their weight and they're trying to use this opportunity really strategically. So we've actually had some really kind of interesting new clients that have come out and said, you know, we need to actually change something really significantly and we're going to use this time to do something really cool. And uh, so it's shifted a little bit. So we've got both kind of the big names that you would hear 
um, or see, you know, on Bay Street in Toronto, all the way down to some really interesting companies um, that typically wouldn't have hired consulting services very often. It's interesting. It kind of airs me back to even back in 08, 09 when I was around and a lot of articles I read at the time, I'm assuming this, this will be no different. These are, these are one of these leapfrog moments where the tier two, tier three players can go, hey, you know what? Maybe that large organization is a bit big. They're a bit cumbersome. Maybe they're being disrupted more. Let's get a jump on them. And you see that kind of real driving innovation come out of, let's be honest, that this is a negative time, but it also is right. It's huge opportunity for companies to redefine when their customers are looking for maybe something different than they were of the status quo two, three, three whole months ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I heard the other day, like a month, you know, a week in COVID is a typical quarter in normal business, kind of like dog years yeah. or COVID years. So something you and I chat about online that I was really interested, a comment that you made was business models for the future. And I think as far as a topic today for us to zero in on, love your perspective on like what you see just overall conceptually, but be as detailed as you want around what are the business models that we're going to see, you know, crystal ball down the road that are going to be disruptive, but also allow companies to thrive with maybe a customer that's looking for something different. And I think, you know, big or small, we're always looking for that. How do we differentiate and how do we add more value? Totally. And I think, um, even kind of before that, it, it's around whether or not companies want to jump into that. And I, I think it's been interesting through COVID watching how different companies are, are talking about business models. And I'd say we've kind of observed four patterns. And, and one is if, if someone's business model has now been proven, it's not going to work. Um, they're down to 0% revenue or they're anticipating the next 18 months, their customer base has evaporated. So tourism, hospitality, we're seeing a lot of those types of industries where the prospect is very uh, kind of dire about what the future is going to hold. And so we're seeing them really be aggressive on what does the future mean and what is my new business model going to be? And then we're also finding that companies um, that are kind of doing really well are starting to reinvent their business model. So they've got so much demand right now. So grocery, um, essential services, and they're saying, okay, we have to actually change our business model to be able to serve this new demand that we have. Everyone else in the middle is not really doing anything. And that's kind of an interesting play because if, if they're at kind of 50 to 80% revenue, it's kind of this pause and wait and you don't want to kind of disrupt everything because you're not going out of business, um, but you're just going to sit there and kind of wait for something to happen. And same if your revenue hasn't really been affected. So, you know, agriculture or, or other services like that, where it's kind of holding a little bit more steady. And so that kind of group is a really interesting one because, you know, it hasn't really hit them over the head yet, but it might, or even if it doesn't, there's so many opportunities in the marketplace and kind of taking that pause and hold mentality on the business model probably isn't the right answer. Um, but they're so scared of sinking the ship in survival mode um, or cutting costs that they're not really thinking about what it means in six months from now about how they can actually be in a better position. Um, so that would be the challenge is to try to figure out how to get the rest of the companies that are kind of in that messy middle group to actually start thinking about what does a business model need to be or what could it be for them to get growth that they're, they're maybe not planning for, um, which I think is really interesting. I'm, I'm picturing you being in that the first time you get out in that like really tippy canoe, but you just want to sit super still. You don't want to move and hopefully the water and there's no wind or anything comes by and you're just like sitting there. I don't have this vision. Of, maybe it's because you're in the Okanagan. I have this vision yeah. of 
But you're right. That's a dangerous place because you're in this little bit like you're not being skilled at nav- a skilled navigator, but you feel like you're kind of you know you're you're you're, you're stable, but it is kind of an illusion because the second a little wave comes by, mm-hmm. you're not stable anymore. The yeah, me- I think that's the messy great. middle. Yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking about how many companies will be there, and what what are your thoughts or optics on the fact that you know you've got companies that are a little bit like okay, let's stay status quo. We'll just you know hold our breath until until this gets better, or we'll sit perfectly until the wind calms down, or whatever whatever weird analogy you want to use. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the changes that are going to happen? Because you know there's lots of talk right now of like the world's going to be so different afterwards that everything is going to change. And I know those yeah. are easy, broad statements. What are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Because arguably you can want to stay the same all you want, but if your consumer demands something different, you're going to have to change. And that's what I'm, I'm curious what that might look like from your view. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're, we're seeing already a lot of consumer changes. Um, and I think everybody can even just be self-reflective about what's changing um, in their, in their lives. And, we were even chatting about, you know, how this time has given everybody a, t- a kind of opportunity to step back and say, what do I really want and what's important to me? And, you know, some people are taking this, I'm going to be the best version of myself. I'm going to learn how to bake complex things. I'm going to lose the quarantine 19, not gain it. Um, there, uh, People are doing that sort of thing. Or people are drinking more. We've seen liquor sales skyrocket. They're the highest they've ever been. Um, so you, you're starting to see people react differently, but also be reflective about who do I want to be? Where do I want to spend my time? What do I want to buy? Um, which I think is really interesting around just kind of the spending patterns. Um, you know, will people ever go back to eating out as much? And if capacity changes not to be uh, fire regulated, but now to be disease regulated. What does that mean? Um, elective surgeries. There's a whole bunch of things that regulatory are going to change as well that people might say, okay, do I really need to get that Botox? <laughs> Is it worth going through the process for it? Um, I, I, I was, uh, I have a friend of mine. She's on the board of a large grocery chain here in, in Western Canada. And she showed some of the, the stats from week to week, the trends and essentially like lip uh, eyeliner, lipstick, all that went down, but hair coloring skyrocketed. So it yeah. was so interesting to see where people were at and what cycle there was the toilet paper cycle. Then there was a, she goes, you know, yeast is the tightest commodity right now. It was so yeah. interesting to see like at the day to day, our day to day buying behaviors and how they were influenced. But I, I love the lipstick dropped off uh, hair coloring yeah. skyrocketed. So it was just so interesting how what became important to us changed literally on a weekly basis for, through the first four totally. to six weeks of this thing. Mm-hmm. And they always say it takes 21 days to create a habit. So we're way over that. Um, so how many things are just going to start to stick um, in terms of what and how consumers are acting? Um, and so I think that's going to be really interesting to say, you know, are people even going to be vacationing close? Like we've been kind of using the term around near-cations. Um, so are we going to see a resurgence around domestic travel? Uh, because that's safer. Uh, you can get home a lot easier. There's less risk. Uh, even after this, even after we get a vaccine, who knows next pandemics and fears and things like that. Um, we had a lot of Canadians that struggled to get back. So are near-cations going to surge um, in terms of keeping the money in the economy as well? So I think, there's going to be so many ripple effects about both opportunities, but also impacts to existing spend that, that companies have to kind of adapt to. Um, and I also think that there's a huge opportunity because we see consumers being a lot more conscious about where they're putting their money. They're trying to support local, which I think is really cool to watch as well to say, you know, do you go support the big box retailers or do you support local? And are you going to buy local and keep the money in Canadian economy? Because, we need it here. Uh, and I think people are going to be a lot more conscious about 
their actions and their spending uh, because of this as well, because we're much more aware that going to the grocery store is a risk and we're taking an action by going even to the grocery store. And so people are going to be a lot more conscious about what they're doing. And I think that's got some huge opportunities, but also some huge risks for certain organizations. Yes, depends on which side of that story you're on. But you're right. As a consumer, it's interesting. There's because I'll be honest, as consumers, we like to buy things, and there's a, usually some joy or some type of self fulfillment. But if you can couple that with feeling good that you're contributing to, I'll be honest. I bought some Village ice cream the other day. I didn't even want it, but I knew I wanted to support my buddy Billy who runs Village. So I ordered from his curbside and picked up. I get home, my wife's like, "Oh, you got ice cream?" I'm like, "Yeah." I just I just felt like it was the right thing to do. So I have ice cream, and I felt good about the purchase. It was a just a very like it. Now I had another layer of feeling good about buying local that got me to consume, which in this case, I thought was, was it, it, the end result was positive for net, net, net money staying in town. Yeah, totally. Totally. So I think we'll see a lot more of that, um, that sticks going forward. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly uh, one of the things people are like, oh, what do you see positive coming out of this? The focus on local and the reality that we all can have impact on that. And I don't want mm-hmm. a world, I'll be blunt, I don't want, there's some great national chains, but I don't want to live in a town that that's all there is. I find yeah. we would, that you just lose all your personality. And that that's a, that's a very, pedestrian loss that can happen by the corner coffee shop going out of business. You know? Totally. So when you sit down with a company thinking about it as, as, as the con- coach, the consultant, the, the discovery phase, if I'm in the messy middle and I'm listening to this, is there some key questions that you would start down and even just for them to, re- for companies, for them, for the them, for people to reflect on, like, where would you start on that journey? If you were kind of sitting in your canoe, very stable, like, don't, don't, don't bump <laughs> me. Everything's perfect. Let's be honest. Yeah. Sometimes that that ends, that stability is an illusion as well. Where where do you start, or where do you start? You know, kind of peeling back the layers. For sure, I think the big thing is companies seem a little scared to go talk to their customers right now, and I think it's probably the most prudent thing to do to get inside their heads around what they're thinking and what they're kind of thinking the future is going to hold. I'll just give an example uh, of a travel organization. So we've got a travel organization, um, and they're customer base is widely outside of Canada. And that probably isn't going to be sustainable for the next little bit. So the first thing you you can sit there and guess all day long about, you know, what's going to happen? What are they going to think? What are they going to do? What are they planning? Uh, How has this affected their decision making? You can guess all day long. But the real thing to do is just go talk to customers to say, how is this changing your behaviors? Are you thinking about still traveling to Canada or not? But then also finding new customer segments. Um, So we're going to be talking to some Canadians to say, would you travel in Canada now? Um, Is that something that you'll consider um, from people that might have traditionally been traveling to Africa or Europe? And so just getting, again, out of the building, which we can't really do right now. So I guess getting on a Zoom call. I appreciate appreciate the metaphor, though. I think we get it. I can't do that anymore. Um, But we're, we're starting to do, you know, virtual or kind of remote customer insight to say, how do customers actually feel about your business? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What do they want more of? What don't they like? How is their process and their customer journey changed? Um, and even their technical technological uh, adoption, I think we're seeing a lot of that too. So you can guess that people might not want to order online. Um, and I think that was always used as a bit of an excuse before uh, that, you know, older people don't like to buy things online. Well, now everyone's just gotten over that hump. Uh, so will they buy your products online and, and stop kind of guessing about it and actually just get out there uh, and ask them um, because it, it isn't going to be status quo at all. So even at that level, and I'm getting way down in the weeds on here, 
tools, tactics, what do you recommend for, cause I've, you know, I've had some conversations with companies like, what's the best? Do I send a survey? I can't really call. Like it depends. It depends if you are in a kind of one-to-one B2B or if it's B2C, if it's one-to-many, it can be really challenging to gather those insights. Like what tools, tactics, we're getting super practical yeah. here, but yeah. that's, hey, we're, we're, we're in a practical time. We need real solutions. Yeah. What do you recommend for companies to use as tools or strategies? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, what we love to do, and, and one of my favorite things is just talking to customers one-on-one. I absolutely love that process. So a survey is good if you're trying to say, you know, generally speaking, how how big is a market or how many of a certain type of person is there um, that exists in that, that market segment or in that geography. Um, but I think there's nothing that really replaces just having that conversation. And it has to be very guided. Like, you don't want to be biasing um the conversation you don't want to be like, well, would you love a very re- like perfectly priced product that solves all your problems? <laughs> like someone's going to say yes. Um, don't, don't don't lead the witness exactly. Right, but I think having a very structured uh, kind of approach to say, you know, tell us about in the travel example, tell us about travel. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And and just walking through that whole decision process with them. Are you? dreaming right now have you visited any websites why don't you do a travel journal for us plan a plan a trip and we'll document that we'll um watch you plan it and do that all virtually uh, and we've had to adapt a lot of our techniques to make it possible to do remotely um which is a whole new challenge too to try to find all to a recruit these people and b facilitate these sessions um but it's doable and so we're trying to do digital scrapbooking um create mood boards um journal for us have these conversations with us share your screen as you go through your decisions um or as you shop so that we can look at how you're making these calls uh and then poke and ask questions and so it's been really interesting because you're actually getting inside their homes a lot more than you used to be which is really cool are you finding people are more open? You and I talked before about just the, one of the positive side effects is, is is even though we can't see each other, there seems to be people are more open and reaching out and creating more connection. Have yeah. you actually sensed even in the last seven weeks, there's been a more openness to people to be transparent and kind of give you some insights and like be part of the change, I guess, because we're all on this journey. Like never have we all been universally in it together like we are this, this now. Yeah, I think there definitely is. I, I think, again, it comes down to how you're doing it, though. And and we kind of we were joking about the LinkedIn uh, bombardment that's happening right now. And there's a lot of just kind of throwing stuff at the wall. Here's my white paper. Here's my article. Here's my thoughts. Uh, here's my cold call. Um, just this huge push. But I think there is uh, a want and a desire for people to engage in more connected ways. So I think when you can kind of nail that ability to have that human interaction, that human connection uh, to drive some of this conversation, that's a, that's something that's definitely wanted. Um, I don't think if a brand just kind of posted a survey on LinkedIn and said, please fill it out so that we know what you think, I don't think it would land the same way as, hey, this is a crazy time and you're one of our value customers. Can we please talk to you? Um, and can you help us? And I think that's a very different ask. Um, and I think people are really open to that right now. It's funny, one of my creative directors, he always refers to it as permissibility. He's like, you know, are, are you allowing them, like, you can say whatever you want and do whatever you want, but is your audience going to, like, are they going to permit you to do it? And yeah. reaching out and quote unquote, bothering them, if it's insensitive <laughs> and not personalized, it feels like that. But if you're actually legitimately, and it's so funny, we're going, it's almost like I'm hearing you talk, oh, you mean we have to be human. We can't waste people's time. We have to add value at every turn. We have yeah. to actually make them first. Like, it just sounds so human when you say it, but it's so yeah. easy to like, oh, oh, I send out a survey. I click that button. 
like now's not the time to click the button or check the box. You've got to yeah. actually invest and that. It's hard for some companies because you have to go off autopilot to do that. Yeah. And I think too, there's an opportunity um, on the flip side. If you're not asking your customers at all or doing anything, I think that's a big miss because a lot of these companies are, you know, it's the first time trying digital ordering. It's the first, they're building new e-commerce solutions. They're um, trying new things. And if you're not getting that feedback, customers want to give you that feedback. And if you don't have those channels yet, because maybe this is new to you, that's also a miss um, to make sure that you're making this a wow moment. And I think um, we were even having a conversation, people are using curbside pickups so much more than they used to. And it's becoming that habit. If you don't use it as an opportunity to get better and improve that experience week on week right now, at the end of this, maybe customers won't come back. Um, but how do you make sure that you're getting that feedback, you're caring about them, they've got time to give you, and then you're making their week on week experience better it's a missed opportunity if you're not engaging with your customers too. Um, so there's that balance. It can't be just kind of lip service and it can't be just thrown into the ether, but it also should happen. You can't just ignore it uh, and then hope that your customers like something uh, or that they're going to come back at the end of all this. Yes. Or heaven forbid you get feedback and then you don't act on it because now not only now I'm actually offended that you didn't take my suggestion and now I'm twice as annoyed at the thing that I've now told you about. <laughs> we're, exactly. it's so, we're, we're so fit. We're so, but yet you, you take action on some piece of feedback that I gave and you feel that as a customer, man, the loyalty that that creates, it's basically instantaneous. Exactly. And I think right now, this is such a great time to do that because people are trying things a lot more. There is a lot more experiments going on. You can experiment kind of safely um, because people are, are giving a little bit more forgiveness right now too. And if, if you're not using this time strategically to do some of that, I think it's a huge miss. It's so true. The, the the what we forgive. Like I've been on many a conference call or many a Zoom call or pick pick the pick the technology where someone's dog goes running through or the kid or someone's kid <laughs> screaming in the background. And before I be honest, I would have been probably a bit shitty about it. Like, oh, okay, super professional. Like now you're just like, hey, it's life. I get it. You're stuck at home. It's okay. Like don't worry about it. Like it, we're, we're just being more human that way. And if you think about that as like company to consumer, that same level of like, hey, you're trying. I appreciate that. Like mm-hmm. definitely, and that that window will close. But like, I think I agree with you. Take advantage of that as much as you can and get out there and kind of bump into your customers frequently and as, you know, deliberately as possible. Totally. Totally. So from your, if, if you were going here, I'm going to really ask you, I'm going to ask you, so I'm going to turn off the podcast and just write down what you tell me here. So if you were going to pick a business model for the future that you're like, wow, you know what? I've looked out, I'm future gazing on a regular basis. These are the type of business models that I think are really going to be, maybe they were coming, but now all of a sudden they're here. What, what's on your, what's on your, your, your blue sky whiteboard? <laughs> I think that anything um, like what we're talking about and what we're really excited about is kind of like the whole telehealth the virtual um, kind of work. And I think anything that allows people to do something remotely, I think is actually going to be a lot more human to that point and, and allow businesses to, to thrive. So whether it's market research done digitally, I don't know if I'd ever do uh, an in-person focus group again or an in-person one-on-one the same way because being able to share that screen and have someone in their home with their dog running by provides so much more insight it's more um, real. More real. It's more real than what we've been doing, inviting people into an office space to do those interviews. Uh, and likewise, you can do a lot more of them in the same amount of time because you're not doing the travel and, and the commute. So I think more those efficient, of- more efficient and more value. That's a pretty compelling. Like just those two two check boxes are, are totally. going to shift how you do things right there. 
And I think we're going to see that in all sorts of industries, like even whether it's uh, dental, uh, how do they, how do you have a dentist appointment digitally uh, now? And, and are wait, we going to see you more stopped, You stumped me with that. I didn't think you said, my mother's a dental hygienist. I'm going to ask her that question. <laughs> but I'm like, wait a second. Because I, I had a friend of mine who did a virtual physio and she was actually kind of disappointed because she missed someone physically like yeah. sticking their thumbs in her neck. So I was curious around the healthcare side. The interesting thing you picked dental. That's an interesting yeah. one. And it's like, are there going to be kind of devices that people are going to have at home that help them do diagnostics, that help them, that assist with that piece that used to be human. And now are we going to be able to do more of that at home? So I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, healthcare, how um, education, we're seeing like church services go digital. We're seeing so many things go that way um, and kind of services and advice and all of that. So anything in those categories, I think is just going to be real. And I think there might be still a need for 3D or physical objects to support some of these business models, but trying to figure out how to get that contact kind of removed, I think allows businesses to scale, allows them to be way more efficient, allows them to have actually a better customer experience in a lot of cases. Um, and it, But it requires totally different operations. And so it's going to be a huge transformation for a lot of organizations. But I think the ones that jump on that are going to future-proof um, their business model so much. And uh, Wello, which is one, it's actually a Calgary um, organization, but they do telehealth and they've been doing it for way before COVID. Um, so smart. And they're there to take advantage of that opportunity to say, you know, we're, we've already got the ability to um, provide healthcare and diagnostic and all of that virtually. So they can just jump into this new world so quickly. Um, and more businesses need to think about what that version is for themselves, I believe. Yeah, I think the telehealth is a really fantastic example. Are you familiar with uh, Bright, Bright Squid? Mm-hmm. Bright Squid. So a friend of mine uh, is in my executive group. He and struggling for years to try to get this thing to take. And it's the ability to, to communicate securely between doctor and patient. Sounds so simple. But that world survives on fax machines, as you know, which is yeah. kind of mind-blowing to me. <laughs> I'm like, so fax machines, right? That's. <laughs> but he said in, in the last two months, they went from being obscure and you know basically couldn't, had trouble getting a meeting with Alberta healthcare. And now they're literally like pounding down their door. It's just amazing how the right thing at the right time. And it was a good idea before. Now it's a mandatory idea. And that that shift is powerful. Yeah. And there's a whole, there's a few industries that that's going to happen first, whether that's, you know, online ordering and telehealth, but what are the ones in four months um, or in the next wave of COVID or non COVID, but another pandemic or whatever this is, what are the other industries that are going to need to future-proof their business models in the same way so they can still provide their services, they can still, um, you know, sell to customers and do that remotely. And I think those are going to be the really interesting ones. Um, and I, I think, like, advertising is another industry that's just been hit really hard and out of home and people aren't listening to radio because they're not commuting and you've got this whole thing. And so how do you change how you advertise for this new way? And um, that's going to look very different. New partnership models, new distribution models. It's totally doable, but it's going to be maybe a little bit after telehealth and some of the others take off, but still one that really needs to get some kind of like their butt kicked a little bit and get a new business model figured out really quickly. One of the memes I've got sent probably 10 times has got sent to me is like, who's responsible for digital transformation at your company? The CFO, the CEO, the CTO, COVID-19. You know, so that, like that's the, that's the <laughs> kick in the butt. You're 100% right. I don't. I, I think I literally get that one, one once a day now. It's, it's, <laughs> but no, you're right. And it comes back to the value equation. And whether it's another pandemic or another, another external force, those examples of early change are going to shift how consumers demand 
like there, I, I like this better. Why can't you be like that? Yeah. And I think the tolerance for services or companies that don't provide it the way I want it is going to become even less because the consumer is, was empowered before. They're even more empowered now is the way I see it, especially with things like you talk about it. I don't even have to go to the dentist and I can do my checkup or maybe I'm not going to do a filling at home, but maybe up to that point. Mm-hmm. And that's going to add quality to my life because nobody wants to run all over. Like it just adds to the get off the treadmill like you and I joked about even yeah. online. This, this this sprint that we're doing and now I have to fit in an appointment with a dentist and now I have to no you don't you can just do it when you get home go home early miss traffic or don't even don't even be at the office to start like those are so many things are going to shift totally 100% any big watch outs is there any is there any is there any left hooks that you see companies maybe not like besides everything we've talked about but is mm-hmm. there is there any real blind spots that you're seeing that are consistent that people are just not seeing that left hook <laughs> imagery as it's coming across from out of screen and catching in the job yeah, for sure. And I think um, this might be a little bit like Alberta focused. Um, and I, I was talking with somebody uh, in my network the other day about this, but I think we're so used to cyclical economies, um, especially in Alberta. And I'm not sure this will be one. And I think there's kind of this optimism or this belief that, you know, this will just, we're so used to it. And so, you know, we'll we'll go through this little down and then we'll go through an up and it's it'll be fine. Um, I think changing that narrative to say we have to make it fine. Um, it's not just going to be fine. This isn't necessarily a cycle. Um, the economic impact is real. The impact to consumers are real. The impact to our industries is real. Um, and it might not just bounce back the way that we're used to it. It's not, it maybe isn't the exact same as what we've seen before. Cause that, that's always the thing in Calgary is, well, I remember when <laughs> and like, oh, oh this it, happened it, before. It, 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 it type it kind of helps you justify like okay I'll just survive but don't worry it'll it'll be okay like I don't really have to change that much and change is exciting but it's hard work like let's be honest yeah. it's easier to think that well as long as I can I can wait it out it'll just come back yeah. so you know we've seen it before and I've lived in Alberta twenty years and you know you talk well you know I've been here since the fifties and I've seen it here you know not to sound like the old guy's story but you mm-hmm. hear that justification frequently. But man, we've been at this for five years already. This is just another yeah. like punch, punch, punch. Like this isn't new for Western Canada specifically. I, th- I think we are having, we do have some other factors. You know, the, the, the I love how black swan has become a, a, a common term now when it was maybe a little bit obscure before. And Alberta's got a couple of black swans and a couple of black eyes to go with it in the last, you know, yeah. five years and, and seven weeks. But I think that's kind of the thing is like, we can't just sit here and, and wait for it to get better. It's really about taking those stances to be, really aggressive about how businesses are going to change. And, and I think there's still kind of like this, just uh, this fear or this apprehension. Um, And I think, you know, there are a couple organizations in Calgary that, you know, are punching above their weight that are trying to globally matter that are, you know, running at that, Um, you know, Neo financials, one of my favorite stories right now. And, but at the same time, we need more of that. And I think that's just the, the thing for Calgary and Alberta companies is to say, you know, don't wait a month to do this, you know, don't wait two months to do this. Don't, you know, get more information in a month and then make a call. Like you need to start future proofing now. And um, as much as COVID came out of nowhere and just, you know, rocked so many businesses, I think that's a good warning to say, what's the next thing that could come out of nowhere and rock your business. It's not there. We could, you know, it's improbable, but not impossible that something else could happen. And so, you know, how do you just really risk manage and not risk manage from cost control and risk management and fear, but risk manage from opportunity and um, optionality? And how do you build that really into what you're deciding on investing in right now? So 
I think there's um, a little bit of that. You're not never going to predict it, but building more options into your business model and more capabilities so that when something shifts, you can actually do something about it. Uh, and having some of that conversation, I think is just so critical. And I think people are still just kind of, you know, in awe of about this change and they're not really kind of saying now what, Moving to that, I find that yeah, it's definitely starting. Like as that we're in week seven, it's starting to shift there. But I still there is like okay, we need to think about the future, and then it's just this huge pause because it, it it's really it's hard to predict what's never been like. But what you yeah. said, resilience, adaptability, some of those fundamental kind of core skills then can be put into actual physical things. But if you don't have those, you've kind of just been doing what you do. This is extra hard because it is yeah. it is a real good kick in the pants, as you said. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you just kind of need a scenario plan. Like maybe you need to put the hat on of my revenues at zero. Now what? Um, And what would I do? And then, you know, just kind of figure that out because some industries are doing it really well right now, but a lot are just kind of waiting. And that's and that's and that's scary as the clock ticks and time and time goes. Not to stop on a negative note because you gave a lot of real positive insights. Sorry, that went kind of dark at the end. Absolutely. (laughs) The future is still in all of our hands and like there has never been more opportunity. But and... Act, act, act now. And I like what you said. The, the left hook is, is thinking that it's just going to cycle its way out where maybe, you know, and if it does, great. But if it doesn't, be, be, be ready and be prepared as an organization. What's the best way for someone to reach out to you? That was very inspiring today, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn, um, my my email, personal email is alexnuth at gmail.com uh, or you can visit network. Now or never.network. Excellent. And I, I love your blurb on LinkedIn, the way you guys summarized it. So I encourage people to go check it out. And I am going to check out your website as soon as, as soon as we get off the, get off the call. But Alex, thanks so much for your time today. Enjoy the Okanagan. And uh, I look forward to us crossing paths again. Thanks so much. My pleasure.